to the Almost Shameless Podcast with Tanya Ray Fox. I am your host, Tanya Ray Fox. This is episode eight. It's been a few months. A lot has happened. And I'm going to be honest, I have been putting this off because I just knew the time would be right when it was time to start podcasting again. I knew I would feel it in my soul and in my heart. And here we are. You know, here we are. I, uh, oh my God, of course, just as I start recording my first podcast in months, there's a motorcycle revving outside. I'm going to keep going. This is live, people. Um, Not really. It's not live while you're listening to it, but I'm going to treat it as such because um, I'm ready to get going. It's, uh, It's been a really insane few months. I don't have to tell you that. The last time we talked, we were in the midst of the early part of this pandemic and I was still figuring out everything back then and, you know, Chris and I were going through our our TV shows that we'd binged watched and we were still trying to embrace the the quarantine life as best we could. Here we are. It's August. We live in Los Angeles. We are still, you know, fairly locked down, all things considered, and it's taken a toll on my mental health, I have to be honest. And I said in my Instagram video last week when I teased the coming back of this podcast, I just didn't feel right about coming back and talking about sports until I really felt I had a grip on where I stood in the world and and how I felt about sports, how I felt about the landscape. And then I felt I could bring my best to the table. It's one thing to do this, you know, to do I've been doing my job, of course. I've still been working and doing as best I can at Fox Sports, where things are obviously difficult across the board. You know, if you're working for a TV station in the country right now, it's crazy. People are getting laid off. You know, there are fears about these these leagues not finishing their seasons and things like that. It's crazy. Um, so, you know, here we are. And we're about to kick off NFL season. They uh, keep insisting there's going to be a full season, you know, so... I got to get back in the swing of things because I need you guys and hopefully you feel like you need me. So we're back at it. Um, We're going to discuss a few things today. I'm going to keep it fairly short. I'm going to try to keep these episodes at least early on under 30 minutes, super digestible. But I want to talk a little bit about how COVID and the Black Lives Matter movement and the kneeling sort of stand in sports right now. And then we're going to kind of on the back end be a little bit more fun I've gotten into some things online with uh, Bucks fans about Tom Brady recently. So we're going to talk about Buccaneers fans and their relationships to Patriots fans when it comes to Tom Brady. Uh, I think it'll be interesting. And I have a really fun rant for you at the end regarding my thoughts on goalies. That's all I'm giving you. Just stay tuned. That stuff coming up. First up, I want to talk about talking about COVID-19 and sports. And, you know, there's really no right way to deal with missing sports if you're a fan or if you're in the media, um, except to remember that everyone deserves the right to keep themselves safe from this virus in the best way they know how. And in America, we are having a very difficult time getting on the same page about that. So... My approach has been this entire time, whatever somebody needs to do to make themselves feel safe is what they need to do, especially when it comes to 
people who are living with someone with pre-existing conditions, people who have elderly parents or sick parents, people who have new children, you know, wives and women who have just given birth and are susceptible and want to keep their children safe, whatever it might be, you know, everybody has that right and I'm keeping that in mind. And that makes sports difficult to root for, you know, um, particularly college sports, right? And that's what we're in the midst of right now. The Big Ten just announced they are postponing their season. They're hoping to play football in the spring, but they are the first Power Five conference to officially announce they're delaying their season. The ACC has been waffling. The Pac-12 has been waffling. The SEC has said that if the rest of the conferences don't play, then they don't see a way that they can play, which is obvious. But when it comes to student athletes, young men and women who do not get paid and for whom getting sick and potentially developing heart conditions are potentially, you know, lifelong issues they could be hand- dealing with and they aren't being compensated on the back end for that. It's a very difficult decision, you know. People work their whole lives to play sports in college and many of them, you know, a large large majority, 90 plus percent of those Athletes, they won't play professional sports. You know, it's their time to shine. And it's their time to enjoy the last moments of like sort of, you know, top tier glory. And giving that up is really difficult. You know, there's, it's just like the athletes who have missed out on the Olympics this year. One year delay for an Olympian is like missing 10 years for a normal person. It's just, it's, it's exhaust. They, there's exhausting amounts of work that go in the year before an Olympics in terms of training. And for a lot of people in these sports, you're aging out. There will be some athletes that age in, but at the same time, it's it's really hard to watch people's dreams go, you know, while others are trying to stay safe. There, no one's doing the wrong thing when they're just working through their own thought processes about it, right? There's no right way to deal with this, but there are some wrong ways. And I wanted to highlight something that really bothered me that I saw it comes from Scott Frost, the head coach of the Nebraska football team. He recently spoke uh, regarding the preparations for the upcoming season, even if it's outside the Big Ten, which at this point it would have to be because, like we said, they just announced that season is going to be delayed. So in a recent meeting among all of the Big Ten school presidents, Nebraska's president reportedly voted against canceling the season, and their head coach, Scott Frost, uh, kind of went further beyond that and gave his comments saying that he plans to have his football team be on a field this season. His quote exactly was, our university is committed to playing no matter what, no matter what that looks like and how that looks. We want to play no matter who it is or where it is. Now, this is the kind of quote that I have a problem with. I will be honest and say he did have some more expanded comments regarding the season and listening to healthcare professionals. And his real concern is canceling the season outright versus delaying it. But he is also concerned that delaying it would involve certain players playing uh, two seasons in a single calendar year. All founded concerns. But the idea that they are committed to playing no matter what, under whatever circumstances, is the kind of sort of hard line, black and white thinking that gets people into trouble. And it bothers me, particularly when it comes to college athletes, for all the reasons we talked about before. Under any circumstances, and for any reason, is the type of language that people use when they don't really 
believe that there is a problem, right? Because if you really believe that this virus could impact one of your players potentially for the rest of their lives, whether it's intense hospitalization that leads to myocardial issues, which is what's happening to a lot of people. That's what happened to Eduardo Rodriguez on the Red Sox. There's a high percentage, a very high percentage of people who recover from extreme uh, bouts with COVID who then are experiencing heart issues as a result. If that could happen to even one of your young men on your football team, how is it that you can say that you would play under any circumstances? We are still so deeply unsure of what the next couple of months are going to look like. We are still so deeply unsure of what COVID is going to look like when we get back into the fall and winter. And we're also dealing with the flu and we're also dealing with other seasonal issues and viruses and everything else. This virus didn't really take hold of the United States until early March, past the major height of flu season. So there's all these things at play. And on top of it, everything about our world has comes with uncertainty, particularly in the United States. I haven't experienced a day of certainty in my life since March. I had to cancel my wedding. I've had to isolate myself from every single person I love. The only person I've had human contact with in months is my fiance. I haven't seen my mother. I haven't seen my sisters. I haven't seen my family dog. I haven't seen my best friends. I haven't seen their children who are growing up a month at a time, you know, you know how kids are, babies, they grow and change. The only reason I know what's going on is through Instagram. I don't know what's going to happen at my workplace if football continues to falter. I don't know what's going to happen to my friends at my workplace. I have not experienced a day of certainty. And I know I speak for a lot of other people who feel exactly as I do, and who've dealt with far, far more adversity than I just described. People have experienced horrific things because of this virus. Being away from elderly parents and grandparents as they've passed away, having to be away from their the mother of their children while their mother gives birth, a mother giving birth without her family in the room. Death and poverty and eviction I, I just simply can't abide by the idea that a football coach is going to be the one to tell us that they will do something under any circumstances when most of the world has had to make extreme sacrifices and when his players and their families are having to make extreme sacrifices. We need to move ourselves out of the black and white behavior when it comes to this virus because we don't have a handle on it country of 350 million people with very little centralized leadership right now. So I don't appreciate someone like Scott Frost deciding that he's unwilling to bend and to be flexible when it comes to not only protecting his players and the players on other teams and the families of those players and the players on other teams, but himself and understanding that this is a systemic problem in the NCAA. You know, these schools deciding that they want to function as, you know, they just want to do what they want to do is all well and good. But the NCAA, this has been a looming problem. When all of this coronavirus stuff began and leagues started shutting down, you know, we lost March Madness and all that stuff. Who among us didn't see this coming? 
with the NCAA. Who among us didn't see all of the stuff we've been dealing with for, for decades with that organization and know if anyone is going to screw this up, it's going to be the NCAA. We knew this was going to happen. This is, an, this is an expose, exposing an inherent flaw in the entire college sports system. So if now's the time that things are going to have to be overhauled, now's the time. Hot stuff coming up. And that goes hand in hand with my next point and um, our next topic of discussion, which is the Black Lives Matter movement and social justice in our professional sports leagues. Let me be clear. This is not going away. Colin Kaepernick knelt four years ago and he lost his job for it and he was blackballed from his league for it and it was quiet and slow for a while but it never went away and it's and now that that there has been the type of unity that there's been and now that the entire country cities across the country have banded together cities across the world have banded together in support of the black lives matter movement the social justice push among professional athletes is not going away, nor should it. So whether you agree with it or not, whether you prefer to deal with it or not, it is now a part of your conscious as a sports fan. If you enjoy watching black men and black women perform for you as a fan, then now it is incumbent upon you, it is now part of our social contract, that you listen to them when they ask you for social justice and equality. If that's a problem for you, then you have to do a lot of self-reflection as to why that is. But as we move forward, I do realize that I have to open my heart to people who are learning how to have that conversation. Because I'm learning how to have that conversation. I have learned a lot of harsh truths about my relationship to race and racism from where, where I grew up in Massachusetts to living in Boston to living in Los Angeles. Many of my closest friends and allies at work are black men and women and learning from them has been a privilege and it's been, it's been eye-opening. But not everybody has had those experiences and a lot of people have had much more experience than I. But when it comes to the NFL specifically, because they are the highest profile league in America and because they are the most profitable sports league in the world, what they do on the social justice front matters more than anything. And when it comes to kneeling, that's a it's an extremely divisive issue. If you follow me at all on Twitter, you know I went on an extremely long and detailed rant regarding Drew Brees' comments months ago and sort of deconstructing the notion that he didn't understand what it was about. But more people have weighed in on it since then, including uh, Brett Favre recently. And Brett Favre is somebody that, off the top, I want to dismiss because he's very Southern and he has a lot of, you know, Southern qualities and values that he that he that's part of his public personality and his persona that's what he's about and you know there is a tendency for people like myself to assume that everybody who's southern is more conservative in their social values to some extent that's earned but we have to listen to each other right so Brett Favre he expressed some thoughts recently about kneeling and at first, I read the headline and I wanted to dismiss it, but I 
clicked on the article and read it, as is my job. And I want to share some of those quotes with you and talk about them a bit. Favre told USA Today um, in regards to the, the movement and kneeling that there is no right answer. Other than the right answer is that we all get along. It seems like the more people try, the more damage is done. I know from being in an NFL locker room for 20 years, regardless of race, background, money you grew up with, we were all brothers. It didn't matter. Guys got along great. Will that be the same if players kneel? I don't know. If one guy chooses to stand for his cause and another guy chooses to kneel for his cause, is one right and the other wrong? I don't believe so. We tend to be fixed on highs. I don't know what it's like to be black. It's not for me to say what's right and what's wrong. I do know that we should all be treated equal. If you can't do that, you shouldn't be in America. Now, this was a real journey for me reading through those quotes because the idea that, you know, everyone is a brotherhood, that it's a brotherhood in the NFL and everyone's brothers and they are all, they don't look at, you know, they don't see color is, it's a cliche and it's not true. You know, um, yes, the NFL is a brotherhood in so many senses, but in a lot of ways, that's something that's a privilege that white men in the NFL have had. The idea that like, oh, of course, I, I've never looked at them. I've never, you know, treated them differently or whatever. But that's part of the problem, right, is thinking that and then having black players tell you like the world is not the same for us and having to hear that. So in one regard, I, I, I really I really resent that that notion that the NFL is somehow exempt, you know, NFL locker rooms are somehow exempt from the societal inequalities that black men face outside that locker room, that's impossible. All these uh, little communities are still microcosms of the larger issues we deal with in America and NFL locker rooms are no exception. However, the idea that we should be treated equally and the idea that equality is inherently American, while maybe nationalist and idealistic, is a beautiful thing to aspire to. And someone like Brett Favre, sort of putting it that bluntly, like, hey, being able to get along while dealing with that friction is the nature of equality. You know, being able to fight through it and still be on each other's side and still fighting for your own beliefs and but not attacking someone else or or denying them their rights is that's equality you know the ability to hate someone for standing um because you wish that they would be on your side but then talking through it like that is what we're hoping that's what we're hoping for and if you compare those comments to what Drew Brees said a couple months ago when he denounced kneeling sort of outright and started talking about his grandparents fighting in World War II and whatever else, it's, they're surprisingly, Favre is surprisingly progressive. Now he's had a couple more months to think about it. And, uh, and you know, and, and Breeze has since walked his comments back and has, has done some work on trying to, you know, re- repair his relationship with his community, which he should. But listening to Favre and reading through those comments and reflecting on them, has challenged me to open my heart up to people who maybe don't always have the same type of vocabulary when it comes to speaking about racism and Black Lives Matter, but who have clearly been listening and are doing their best to 
move in the right direction, you know, that's, it's really important that we not just expect people to let us down or expect people to say something racist or to read one quote in um, a larger piece. And that's what I, that was a good reminder to me. So I think for anybody who's listening to this, it's just remember to really examine what you think the intentions are behind the words and what the message is. And sometimes there are going to be things you disagree with, but trying to pull the larger point from it, if you can look at someone and say, I think this is someone who's trying to actually have the conversation and who's putting in the effort and time to at least consider, you know, what this is all about, that's, that's what you want. You know, even if you don't fully agree yet, that's, that's the direction you want to move with people is, you know, are we both moving forward in good faith in this conversation? Start there. Hot stuff coming up. Okay. I have to talk about Buccaneers fans. So recently someone put out a graphic of Tom Brady and all of his career accomplishments. You know, Super Bowls, MVPs, some of the league records that he holds. This whole, you know, one of those nice, beautifully curated graphics of his entire 20-year career and a picture of Tom Brady. However, Tom Brady was in a Buccaneers jersey on this graphic. Now, granted, he is on the Buccaneers currently. (laughs) Has he played a game for them? No. Has he taken a snap for them? No. But he is on the Buccaneers. So a highly followed Buccaneers fan account retweeted that with, I think they said goat or something like that. So I tweeted that it should be illegal for someone to put a graphic of Tom Brady's career accomplishments with a photo of him in a Buccaneers jersey because he's achieved all of those things over a 20-year period, a two-decade period, an entire generation with the New England Patriots. You know, like the idea that the Buccaneers can claim Tom Brady's greatness in any way, shape, or form is absolutely insane. Now, obviously, it was a little bit tongue-in-cheek, but also a little bit serious. Like, okay, you know, you should be excited to have Tom Brady on your team. Do not get me wrong. But, like, oh boy, it looks wrong to see him in a Bucks jersey next to all of his Patriots accomplishments. Of course, this ignites, you know, the uh, Buccaneers. I guess there's Buccaneers fans. Had no idea. But there's at least, like, 30 or 40 of them because they all ended up in the mentions. Oh, Patriots fans, like, crying, like, You're just mad that he wanted to leave. Belichick wouldn't pay him and now you're whining. Oh, you're so sad. And I just have to say, I'm just here to say, for all those Patriots fans out there who are now going to deal with like random Buccaneers fans popping up on Twitter for the first time ever, stand your ground. I will say this now and I will say it until he's inducted into the Hall of Fame with all of his Patriots gear around him. Tom Brady belongs to Patriots fans. I don't care if he wins the Super Bowl with the Buccaneers this year. I don't care if he goes 1-15 in and drops out of the league. I don't care what happens to Tom Brady in Tampa. I'll be, I, I will always be rooting for him. You know, Patriots number one over everything. But I'll always root for Tom Brady. I'll always root for Gronk. But he is, we get the last word on Tom Brady. Patriots fans get the last word on Tom Brady. 20 years. He didn't flee New England because he hated it there. And, you know, there's no 
bad blood. There's not going to be some big expose about how he hated his time there. He was there for 20 years. It was his entire career. His entire legacy is New England. No one is ever going to remember Tom Brady in a fucking Buccaneers jersey. We are letting Buccaneers fans enjoy our goat for a little bit. That's the reality. You know, that's the reality of the situation. It's, it's, you know, the, everybody tries to compare things. They try to compare Joe Montana. They try to compare Michael Jordan. They try to compare, you know, these different sort of all-time greats going to play for other teams. But there is no comparison because none of those players were ever on a team for 20 straight years. None of those players won Super Bowls 19 years apart from each other. You know, that like Tom Brady's legacy in New England is the longest, most consistent, greatest piece of art in all of team sports. So congrats on having Tom Brady. Enjoy him. We will share him with you. But he is not yours, Tampa Bay. And he never will be. When he goes into the Hall of Fame, he'll be going into the Hall of Fame as a Patriot. He will be talking about Bill Belichick. He will be talking about Josh McDaniels and Robert Kraft. And Bruce Arians will be a nice little footnote. Jason Lightman, a nice footnote. That's it. Enjoy your time with our goat. Shall we? Okay, final rant. One of my biggest pet peeves watching sports and engaging about with sports on Twitter is the casual fan, usually soccer fans or hockey fans, who complain about every single goal their goaltender allows. It's a very specific thing that bothers the absolute shit out of me. But it happens a lot on the Bruins with Tuka Rask. Tuka Rask is definitely the best goalie they've they've had in my lifetime. And he's, he's an all-time great goalie on the Bruins, statistically. He has been so solid for them for years. The Bruins have been a very good hockey team for a very long time, and you cannot be a very good hockey team for a very long time without a very good goaltender. Tuka Rask is a good goaltender, but for some reason, casual Bruins fans, casual hockey fans, will blame a bad game. You know, like, if a goaltender appears to be having a bad game, their first thought is, this goalie sucks. Every time they allow a goal, what the fuck are you doing, Tuca? Whatever. And the same thing happens watching soccer. And, you know, soccer is even more difficult because the net is massive and they're not wearing these big pads to help them. Like, it's very difficult to be a soccer goaltender. It's very difficult to be a hockey goaltender. And you bear a lot of that blame for people who don't understand the nuances of the sport. And I am here to tell you, if you are watching somebody who is a is a considered you know, sort of objectively considered to be a good to above average to great goaltender, and they are allowing in goals, please, for the love of God, start considering the aspects around the goaltender that may cause that to happen. Because goaltending doesn't happen in a bubble, right? That's why there's fullbacks in soccer, and that's why there are you know, defensive players in hockey. That's why we have Zidane Chara, right? There are extremely bad matchups for specific teams. There are different formations people play. There are 
all these factors that go into why a team might be struggling defensively to stop. Now, obvious, there are obvious times that goalies are just caught sleeping. They're just caught sleeping. They're caught off guard, whatever. But if someone is standing directly in Tuca's face, he can't see what's going on. The other team, you know, does something tricky and there's a fucking slap shot right past his eyeball into the back of the net and he never saw it coming. Why are you on Twitter complaining about Tuka Rask? Because that's not Tuka Rask's fault. Just because he's the one wearing the pads and the goaltender doesn't in the goal does not mean that's his fault. You know that's not his fault. That's a defensive breakdown. You gotta just be more critical when you're looking at how these player how these things happen. You know, like when you're watching soccer and there's a and there's a corner kick, and the you know the guy who's defending the back post is just like like apparently looking at butterflies and someone one of the other team's strikers or forwards nails one right in the corner on the opposite side of where the goalie was. How is that the goaltender's fault? It's not. <laughs> you know, there there are there are many many people on a team tasked with defending the goal. The goalie is the last line of defense, not the only line of defense. Just be more critical. Like truly Learn, watch the game unfold, watch the plays unfold, watch where things break down. You know, start using your critical thinking skills to look and see where you think the play broke down before it got to the goal. And if you can't find that spot, then you say, okay, did the goaltender get caught sleeping? Did they get, was that their fault this time? It's much more fun to watch sports that way, I promise you. All right, guys, I got in everything I wanted to do and we and we uh, we kept it at a good time frame. So um, I know this was a quick one. I hope that you enjoyed being back with me. I'm enjoying being back with you. As we move forward, I want to continue discussing these social issues and, you know, and continue to push those. But I also want to, you know, have some fun with you as well. So I hope you found the balance with me today. Please stay safe and healthy. Big hug to all you guys. And we'll talk soon. Bye.